We're looking ahead to Easter that's coming up next week, and our series has actually been called Looking Towards Easter. We've been looking at who we might be able to invite, and a couple of weeks ago we looked at belonging, and who are people that we might want to consider finding a place to belong with us here at GRX. And then last week we looked at this idea of invite. How can we be invitational to people? Even though uh, we might encounter some skepticism, like Nathaniel was really skeptical, Philip simply invited him. Philip simply said, come and see. And we don't have to do the convincing about Jesus. It is that Jesus Christ himself will do the convincing about, about who he is. And so today's message, we're going to actually, at the end of today's message, uh, invite all of us to participate in a prayer activity and something that's just getting set up here on the side. So Jeannie, thank you for getting this all together and setting it up. But uh, on the sides and in the aisles, you'll notice some plastic bins. And there are some little name tags there and some Sharpie markers. And the idea behind this is if either two weeks ago or even last week, uh, God has placed on your heart or your mind someone who either needs a place to belong or someone who maybe would, uh, you're sensing you would want an invitation to come to join us on Easter Sunday. Um, if, if God's put a name on your heart or your mind, um, we're going to ask you and invite you to put that name down on this piece of paper. And we're going to stick those names up onto the board here. And then have an opportunity to pray all together as a church to commit ourselves and to commit our, these names to God and to what God wants to do in the lives of these people and and perhaps have them join us on Easter, for us to invite them to Easter and for them to find a place with us where they can belong and ultimately to find a place in God's family where they can belong uh, with Jesus Christ. So today, as we continue to journey towards Easter, It is the beginning of Holy Week. It is Palm Sunday. And what happens in Palm Sunday and what happens in Holy Week is that this is the time when we look at what happens in three parts in the life of Jesus Christ. Palm Sunday is the first part. Palm Sunday is when Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem and the crowd cheers Hosanna, which means save, save us. That's the first part. But then what we celebrate as well is Good Friday. And that's, we're going to celebrate that this coming Friday here at GRX, here in the W Room. But that's when the crowd turns and when darkness and death close in on Jesus Christ and where Jesus is betrayed and where Jesus is crucified, where Jesus is abused, And where the whole crowd, everyone turns on him. And that's Good Friday. And that's the crucifixion on the cross. And then Easter, where Jesus Christ rises from the dead. And we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And it affirms everything that Jesus says about who he is. And that not only is Jesus risen, but the promise that we too, as followers of Jesus, will be risen with him. That he will save us from death and sin. That's what we celebrate on Easter. That's Holy Week, and it begins today with Palm Sunday. That's what we're going to look at. 
And with that, we're going to look at a famous passage in Matthew chapter 21, the triumphal entry. All the gospels talk about the triumphal entry. We're going to look at Matthew's account because we're also going to be looking at Matthew's account on Easter Sunday. So with that, if you uh, have your Bibles, you want to look at it, it's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. What's going to be happening here, Jesus is going to be heading to Jerusalem with all of his disciples. And there's a festival going on in Jerusalem, so a lot of people are coming, a a lot of crowd is there. And then people begin to get wind that Jesus is coming. Now, Jesus has already built up a, ma- a, a gigantic reputation because he's been healing people and he's been teaching. So when people have an opportunity to see Jesus, they know he's coming, they're, gonna, they're really excited to see him. And they've got a lot of expectation on who this Jesus is, the chosen one, the holy one of God, the Messiah. But let's open up with uh, Matthew 21, verse 1, and talking about Jesus and his disciples. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he sent them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Okay, let me just stop there for just a second, because there's a lot of things going on just in in this passage. In your Bible, it's probably offset this section that says, say to the daughter of Zion. And that's because when you're reading through the scripture, this is actually Matthew using one piece of scripture to affirm what's going on with Jesus. A close reading of this says that, that Matthew actually explains what's going on here. In verse, chap- in verse four, Matthew makes a little side note in the narrative. Matthew says, this all took place, this Jesus with the donkey thing, this all took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet. And what's important to understand about the book of Matthew is that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience would know the Hebrew Bible. They would know their sacred scripture. Now, the Hebrew Bible is what we call the Old Testament. But the Jewish people who would be reading Matthew's account would know the Hebrew Bible and they would know that this next passage and what Jesus is doing is a fulfillment of the great expectation of the Messiah. And Matthew sets this off to say, this is just like what the prophets say. You Jewish people who are reading this, remember the prophets who said, say to the daughter of Zion, Zion, which is the nation of the people of God. So say to the daughters of Zion, Say to the people of God, say to them, behold, your king is coming to you. He's humble and mounted on a donkey. And that's what Jesus is doing. So Matthew is reminding his Jewish readership of this passage that comes straight out of Zechariah. If we're going to turn to Zechariah 9, 9, that's the prophet. 
And this prophet has this classic Jewish uh, language, this Jewish approach, this doublet, where he says two things. He says the same thing, but in two ways. Zechariah 9 says this, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If you were Jewish and you knew this prophecy, then you see Jesus riding on a donkey and you go, that's just like Zephaniah. That's just like Zechariah. I'm sorry. That's just like Zechariah. And we would know it. That confirms that this is the Messiah. For me, what I love about this prophecy is this passage that says, behold, your king is coming to you. I mean, this is a people that have been looking and waiting for a king for a long time. And the prophecy says, behold, look, your king is coming to you. It's your king. This is someone for you. This is the king. This is the Messiah. It's not a foreign king who's going to come and save you. It's not an impersonal king or someone that's so far above you that you can't relate to them. It's your king. It's someone who understands you. They're coming to you, to your situation. It's someone who understands your struggles, your obstacles, and your life. He's coming to you where you are in your deepest need. I think about that, I I wonder, do we need a savior like that? I mean, certainly back then they needed a savior like that. But do we need a savior like that? Your king is coming to you where you are in your place. This is Jesus. That's who he's coming. Okay, but then the passage goes on. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd, and this is their coming into Jerusalem, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, all around Jerusalem and all around the Holy Land, there are these Palm trees, they're called date palms. They're everywhere. They grow really well in that arid condition and they put off these really beautiful, tasty, very nutritious dates. You can even buy these. I was actually just in Costco last week. They had date palms and you could buy them in a little plastic bucket, just like this, for $9. Because everything at Costco is in a little plastic bucket and it costs $9. They're there, the dates. They're, They're brown, they're about that big. And they come from date palms. And that's where these, these are these trees. And these are the palm branches. And that's where they come from. Okay. So most of the crowd spread the cloaks on the road and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, save us to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, 
Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And that's all the scripture that we'll look at today. The crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, isn't this interesting? This is Jesus. The crowds are all with Jesus. And they're surrounding him and they're saying, this is Jesus from Nazareth. Isn't this interesting? Because last week, we just looked at Nathaniel, who was skeptical and said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then all of a sudden we look at this and the crowds are with Jesus and they're saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth. We have this incredible turning about how people understand what's going on with Nazareth. I'm going to simply offer two reflections out of this passage of the triumphal entry, Jesus coming in and then the crowds around him. I'm going to offer two reflections. One reflection really on Jesus. What do we learn from Jesus? And then a second reflection about the crowd. What do we learn from the crowd? What do we see? So what do we learn about Jesus? We see Jesus coming in. We see people all around him cheering him. We see people affirming his leadership. They're singing Hosanna. It's a a reaffirmation of Zechariah, the one that is chosen. And what we see about Jesus is that in his leadership, God has a plan. And the plan is that Jesus comes not with power, in the way that the world defines power. But Jesus comes in humility. Our king coming for us, meeting us where we are. Not someone way above us, not somebody distant, but someone coming to us in humility and coming to meet us and serve and be with us. I was sort of thinking about this triumphal entry of Jesus Christ in our culture. And we do something a little bit similar. Whenever we elect a new president of the United States, we have an inauguration. And an inauguration in our country is when the people celebrate and we cheer and we have a big celebration and a big parade and we affirm the leadership of this new person coming into power to be our leader. Not our king, but our president, which is as close as we get in our country. Do you know that when the president of the United States goes to the inauguration, he rides in the presidential vehicle? And this vehicle has a nickname. Maybe some of you know it. This vehicle is called the beast. He rides in the beast. Obama rode in the beast last year. Let me tell you about the presidential vehicle that the president rides in on his inauguration. It is a $300,000 Cadillac limousine. This is a huge vehicle. It's all black. People don't really know the specs of this vehicle, but if you know cars, People think it's got a 490 cubic inch engine on it. It's a V8, they think. 
and they think it weighs somewhere between 15,000 and 20,000 pounds. That is a vehicle that says power. Just, just by comparison, 15,000, 20,000 pounds for the beast. Um, your average minivan runs about 4,500 pounds. It's about a, a fourth of this. Your heavy SUV is about 5,500 pounds. All you, Prius drivers, all you Prius drivers out there, thank you, Ivan. Your car drives about 3,000 pounds. This car is 20,000 pounds. The equivalent in Jesus' day, when anybody ever rode in, they rode a huge and powerful stallion. That's what victors rode into the city on. They rode on this giant warhorse of a vehicle. Jesus doesn't come in on a stallion. He doesn't come in on a warhorse. He comes in on a donkey. It's a beast of burden. It's a common animal. Your family might have a donkey to carry stuff. It would be the equivalent of the new president of the United States about to go to the inauguration and saying, you know, hey, this year, let's not, get, let's not take out the 300,000 Cadillac limousine. Let's just leave that in the garage. You know, I want to ride something that just says basic and functional. So why don't you fire up the minivan. I just ride in the minivan to the inauguration. Martin Luther, who's the father of the Reformation, he says this about Jesus. Jesus rides no stallion, which is the war animal. He comes not with fearful pomp and power. Jesus sits on a donkey no war animal. An animal which is ready for the burdens of work that will help human beings. Thereby, Jesus shows that he does not come to terrify people, to drive or oppress them, but to help them to carry their burdens and take them on himself. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't come to drive people. He doesn't come to oppress people. He comes to take the burdens of people on himself. And that's what happens in Good Friday. When the whole crowd turns from him, when all the cheering stops, Jesus takes the burden of brokenness, human depravity, and human sin. Jesus bears that himself on the cross. And that's what we learn about Jesus. So we learn about Jesus coming in. God has a plan. Jesus lives into that plan. But what do we learn about the crowd? The crowd is also something that I think is insightful for us today. I think what we learn about the crowd is that the crowd gets it right, but they also get it wrong. You know, that's why, that's why when, when there's a crowd and, and there's a big crowd and they're all whipped up, you always have to watch out 
Because the crowd will get some things right, but the crowd won't get everything right. You know, that's one of the things I actually love about Christian faith, is that the Christian faith is not about the crowd mentality. The Christian faith is not about whipping people up into an emotional frenzy, because, because that's a riot. That's a crowd that's out of control. What I love about the Christian faith is the Christian faith says, hey, analyze stuff. Have intellectual integrity. Yeah, look at what the crowd is doing and then consider it for yourself. Think about it. Test it. Explore it. And see if it's really true. Don't just follow the crowd. Analyze it. Because the crowd gets some things right some of the times, but sometimes the crowd gets things wrong some of the times. I mean, think about this. A traffic jam. Think about a crowd in a traffic jam. All those cars trying to all get in the same place, that's a crowd. The crowd doesn't have it right. They're just jammed up together on the freeway. And that's why you need an app like Waze or Google Maps or Apple to analyze the road. Don't follow the crowd. Analyze it. The crowd gets some things right here, but they get some things wrong. Is what they get right. What they get right here is the chanting of Hosanna. Save us. Hosanna in the highest. Their chanting comes out of the Psalms. And their chanting comes out of a group of Psalms. And these Psalms that this chanting comes out of are known as the Halal Psalms. They're Psalms 113 to 118. Halal meaning the Psalms of praise. If you read all of these Psalms, 113 to 118, you'll see that all of them are Psalms of praise, praising God for who he is, praising the leadership that God has given, praising and anticipating a Messiah who will save people Israel. The people in the crowd, the people that were in Jerusalem, they would know all of these halal Psalms. Halal means praise in Hebrew. And they were chanting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. They were chanting the great halal psalm as Jesus Christ was coming in to Jerusalem. This is what Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26 says. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Save us, we pray, O Lord. That's what it says in Psalm 118, the halal psalm. And that's what the people say here. The people say, save us. Hosanna, save us. And they say, Hosanna in the highest. What that would mean for us is it means like, Hosanna in the best possible way. The highest, like the highest standards, the best possible way. Jesus, save us in the best possible way. Don't just save us by the skin of our teeth. Don't just save us so we barely make it. Save us completely. Save us in a great way. Save us in a big way. Save us so that we have success and victory. And they were right. 
because Jesus will save them in the best possible way. But the crowd is also wrong because Jesus doesn't save them the way they want Jesus to save them. The people there in Jerusalem are saying, save us in the best possible way. And what do those people need saving from? They need saving from the Roman government. They need saving from the Roman government who is occupying Jerusalem and who is oppressing them. They need saving from a foreign army, an abusive power. They need saving from a political government and an emperor that is oppressing them. And you see that expectation in the ways that the people are responding to Jesus Christ. When they lay their garments down on the ground and they cheer for Jesus to come in, it is as if they are rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. It's a sign of someone worthy of honor And it's a sign that a new king is coming in. Someone who will replace the leadership that they have. We see this in 2 Kings chapter 9. Where a new king, Jehu, is coming in. And the people rush to lay their cloaks down on the stairs as he walks. And the people chant, Jehu is king. It happens in 2 Kings chapter 9. And that's what happens here. And then they wave the palm branches. It's a sign of rejoicing. It's a sign of worship. It's a sign of kingship. We see it in Revelation chapter 7. Where even there, as people are worshiping the king, they're dressed in white robes and they're holding palm branches. It's a picture that we get at the end in Revelation chapter 7. And the crowd, they say, here is Jesus. Here is the Savior. He's going to save us. And that's right. But then they say, he's going to save us politically. He's going to save us militarily. And that's wrong. The crowd discovers that that's not how Jesus is going to save them. That's what they discover in Holy Week. And when they see that Jesus is not going to save him in the way that they want to be saved, they turn on him. And that's what happens in Good Friday. And the same crowd that celebrates Jesus all of a sudden turns and says, we don't want him anymore. Crucify him. And give us instead Barabbas. Because what happens at the end of the week is Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate says, hey, I don't want to crucify this Jesus. I can release somebody. I can release Jesus to you. And the crowd says, we don't want you to release Jesus. We want you, Pilate, to release Barabbas, who is imprisoned right now. And who is Barabbas? Barabbas is a freedom fighter. He's a guy who fought militarily. And that's why he's imprisoned. Life sentence. But the crowd says, we don't want Jesus anymore. He's not saving us the way we want. We want Barabbas. We want a freedom fighter. We want a rebel. He's going to save us. Give us him. 
and crucify Jesus. You know, it's really very human when people don't do what we want them to do. It's pretty easy to turn on them. When people don't live up to our expectations, when, when we have an idea for what we want them to do and they don't do it, and we're like, ah, it's really easy to get angry at them, really easy to turn on them. And I think that's, for me, what I learned most about the crowd and what I learned from the crowd. We have the crowd that welcomes Jesus, and they're so excited, and they do get it right that he's the Messiah. But they have an expectation connected to their welcome. They want Jesus to save them, but they expect Jesus to save them in a certain way. And when Jesus doesn't show up for them, they take their welcome and they turn on Jesus and they're angry with him. And I think sometimes in life, we might welcome Jesus and we go, yeah, we really, we love Jesus. We welcome Jesus. And Jesus, hey, I'm welcoming you and I want you to do this for me too. Because I know, God, you have a plan, but I also have a plan. And I have a plan for you. So yes, I'll welcome you, but I also expect you to do this. And sometimes I've seen when Jesus doesn't show up for us in the way that we want him to, it's really tempting to turn on him. That's what the crowd does. It's very human. In a little bit, we're going to have an opportunity to write down a name of somebody on, the, on a little name tag and stick it on the board. And, I mean, it's true for me. I have hopes and expectations for this person because I love them. And I want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite them to come to Easter Sunday. I'm going to pray that they encounter Jesus. But the important thing that we need to remember as we welcome people into the church and as we welcome Jesus Christ, that we can't lay too much expectation on what Jesus is going to do with them. Jesus is going to be Jesus. God is going to be God. Will Jesus save? Yes, he will. Can Jesus save? Yes, he can. But we also have to welcome Jesus and let God be God and trust that God has a plan and in his time and in his way, he will save. So right now, um, let me invite the worship team to come on forward. Um, what we're going to do in this time is uh, they're going to play. We're just going to have an opportunity to just reflect. And um, if God has brought a name to you two weeks ago or last week or even today, who you might be saying, hey, I'm going to invite them to come and join us on Easter. Go ahead and write their name down. And sometime during the song, just go ahead and stick that sticker up here on the board. And then later on in the service, we'll have an opportunity, all as a church together, to pray for the names that are here.